Welcome back to the Wheel Take Silly uh, podcast. I'm Nick. I'm always joined with my brother, Andy. Uh, today is July 8th, and unfortunately, uh, this means that the season is over. Tampa Bay uh, readily handled Montreal in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, they, they won in five games. Uh, last night was just, uh, I think the frustration of watching last night's game was knowing that, you know, it was it was the end of the season. So for a hockey fan like me, wanting Montreal to win wasn't necessarily me cheering for them to win the Stanley Cup and make a comeback, but rather just delay the inevitable and at least get another game in before the season ends. But, uh, you know, Tampa just, they're unbelievable uh, in a in a game after a loss. They, um, they haven't lost a back-to-back game in the playoffs since the sweep by Columbus, which I just thought was an insane stat. Um, and then I also saw a stat that Vasilevsky has um, five series clinching uh, shutouts in a row. So, you know, whenever they needed to clinch a game, he posted a shutout, which is just unbelievable by him. I, uh, it just yeah. goes to how much of a goaltender he is and how great he is. That, that stat was, is that what it was? Because I, maybe I read it wrong. I thought it was five. Five consecutive shutouts after losing a game in the playoffs or something. Maybe I did read it wrong. I just saw. Maybe it's two different facts. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it's two different facts, but they're one and the same. Um, Either way, man, uh, you know, it's, it's an impressive feat. I mean, it's. You can shortchange it in various different ways, but um, regardless of how it's performed, back-to-back championships in the NHL is one of the hardest feats, I think, to overcome in sports. So, And to do it with the numbers that, that Tampa has done, um, it's, it's a pretty amazing. It's been a pretty amazing run for the past two years for them. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I have the stat real quick. I can just... Okay. That. Uh, it says Andre Vasilevsky posts five consecutive shutouts in series clinchers and earns every single win in Tampa Bay's Lightning's back-to-back Stanley Cup run, which I think is basically what both of us said. You know, five consecutive shutouts yeah. in series clinchers. So it's it's. I think you were right, and I I must have saw something else or just I re- think... read it wrong. So last night, I think the stat you're looking for was last night. I'm pretty sure they showed Vasilevsky is like 13 and 0 in either it's elimination games or him following a loss. It's so, following a loss. Yeah. So yeah, because Price was undefeated in, in facing elimination. elimination. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good place to start with Vasilevsky because he was the Conn Smythe winner, and you know, for anybody who was uh, thinking rough with how great he was playing i i didn't see how it couldn't have been anyone else besides vasilevsky that guy played out of his mind throughout this whole playoffs and you know has he had maybe uh uh you know an easier run than price maybe i mean price did come up with a lot of clutch saves but you know even in the five games they played i, I still couldn't say that price was the better goaltender even if vasilevsky was facing you know, 20 shots a night, 24 shots a night. The dude was 
never let a puck pass him and was just unbelievable throughout this whole series. And him winning Conn Smythe, I thought was like a guarantee. The fact that it could even go to anybody else was almost not laughable, but certainly unexpected. Yeah, dude, the team is stacked with uh, Conn Smythe candidates. I mean, if Point didn't flake out for the for the last series, you know, it easily could have gone to him, I would say. But, um, yeah, like Vasilevsky is is the number one goalie in the league, and uh, he's he's shown why. I mean, how many one zero shutouts did he post? How many times did Tampa only need to score one goal and they won? Um, you know, I think that's I think that's something that we've kind of been that's a drum that we've been beating over the head since uh, probably the first few episodes since we started right as this uh, playoff began. Um, yeah, it, it, like, you know, hindsight 2020, looking at it, it was a pretty boring cup run. I, I'm sorry if I just don't have the enthusiasm there right now. Um, but, you know, last night was a was a pretty boring game to watch, to close out the season with. Um, so I'm just a little bit down that the season's over. It was an, it was a repeat champion, which even though it's, it's an impressive feat, it is uh, a boring one sometimes for fans. Uh, but I don't want that to take away from, uh, you know, the players, especially Vasilevsky and, um, you know, McDonough, I'm glad that McDonough got a cup. Uh, it was nice to see him win. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, positivity coming out of this. Um, I'm excited, though, to get back into an actual regular season format and uh, start crowning champions again in a more uh, traditional sense. Um, maybe it might bring a little more to the table. It might bring a, a better playoff pool to the table. Who, who knows? But, um, yeah, hockey's over, man. It's the off season. It's... Uh, Every every hockey fan's depression starts right around this time. It's just a couple weeks late this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm actually glad that you brought up the disinterest because it's something I've been kind of keeping silent with, you know, friends that uh, watch hockey with me and, and even you, and But I'll be honest and say that the further this playoffs went on, the less interest I just – the less interest – uh, I had in it, you know, and it, I don't very think, much in agreement. Yeah, I mean, and it's not to say that I didn't want to see, you know, Tampa in the final again, or it's not to say that I didn't want to see an underdog like Montreal in. It's just, I, I don't know what it was, whether it was an X factor of just this odd season where it started in January and sure. it's ending now. I can't explain it, but it just, it was different. You know, it was different than previous ones. Um, and I, I think that that played a, a factor in it. Um, and, it and I think... It, I, I think was it's, just going to say, if you're, if you're having trouble finding it, here's what it is for me. It's that, um, you know, all the playoff candidates came from within a, dis, a division this year, and all the playoff candidates within a division didn't have to face anyone outside of their division until the final two rounds of the, of the playoffs. So for the vast majority of the season, we're just seeing sort of 
two teams play a series together in the regular season and then immediately turn around and do it two times in a row uh, in the postseason. It's it, it it what it does is it creates the divisions only allowing the divisions to to have the ability to make a playoff. Whereas you know traditionally it's usually the division leaders who uh, you know bankroll that first or second spot in the playoffs, and then after that it's more or less the rest of the league that's battling for the rest of the spots. Yes, you're jockeying within your own within your own division. But you're playing teams from around the league, from around the division. Um, and it's sort of, you know, the regular season is mixed up a lot more. And the postseason is completely different. You know, you only have played the other team probably four to six times uh, for your conference side of the run. Uh, when you get to the finals, you've only played those teams, what, two or three times, I think. Um, is usually how many times you play another team or a team from another uh, conference. So what it does is it creates these almost like small leagues where you get te- you get teams like Toronto that come in looking, you know, like a like a freaking stallion uh, that's that's just ready to go. And then you also end up with teams that are just like a Trojan horse, like Montreal, because once that playoff hits, it's not about the standings anymore. It's not about how you performed within your own division. It's about just playing playoff hockey again. And as the playoffs are going on, we start them with, I think, very little to no fans in most arenas. And then it was like, you know, the Canes got, I think, what, 10 or 12,000 people approved. And so that was a big jump. But, you know, other teams still weren't kind of with them. And I mean, actually, last night when they were doing the the thing before the game, when they just filmed the goalie while he's uh, getting his crease ready before the start, and you know they always have their stats to the left, and they're talking about each goalie. When they started that for Price, right before they did that, they kind of did one of those out and away pans where they pan the entire bowl in the arena, and then they got down to Price, and and it just was like. For me, you know, we touched upon it in our bo- one of our bonus episodes, but I think just the inconsistency of fans this year uh, from series to series as well as from, you know, team to team, um, that, you know, that took a lot out of it. It really sort of, I don't want to allude to anything or, or like shade anybody, but you know, it almost feels like a competitive advantage at some times. Um, you know, as we're gearing up for game five last night, it feels like the good old days. It feels like a full crowd. Um, but but then, you know, you go over go to game three and four. There's like hardly anyone in the arena. Yeah. And it's like, I, I just think those, like, first of all, the not having a whole lot of... Uh, looks during the regular season i think that might have contributed to it because i think the playoffs probably got off to a really slow start for you or they did at least for me because you're just first the first two rounds are just series that you've seen the entire season already it's just that they're trying them over again now and they count you know um yeah and and what i was going to add and piggyback off a little bit was was the fans and 
Um, the fact that Canada didn't have any fans in attendance for the Stanley Cup final and didn't even have fans at the start of the playoffs. Um, I remember an empty Bell Center watching one of the uh, Winnipeg Jets games. And then on the flip side, watching you know, the Winnipeg Jets play Montreal um, at home in, in Winnipeg. And it was just like, man, if these... You know, if these rinks had fans, it would be so much better. It'd be more intriguing. And it's not to say that the play or the games themselves were boring, um, because we watch hockey to, you know, watch them play the sport. It's not we're watching them for the fans. But you definitely understood and you took for granted what the fans offered when you watched a hockey game. And, and that clearly showed in these playoffs. Um, because Bell Center, um, I, I think it's the MTS Center or MTS Place for uh, Winnipeg. Like they're regarded as one of the loudest rinks in all of uh, the NHL, and we just we didn't get to experience that. Um, and I remember watching, you know, like highlights of past uh, playoffs where I tried to occupy myself during the the shutdown of COVID where there wasn't any hockey on. A lot of people posted some old old playoff highlights. And I just remember seeing vividly Nashville and Winnipeg series and just listening to to Winnipeg's crowd with the whiteout. Dude, they're loud. They have some of the they have one of the lowest attendance. Uh, well not yeah. lowest attendance, but like lowest uh capacities. And they're the, one of the loudest fan bases in, in the league. And not having that just it just took away from it. And then you brought up a good point as well, where it's just like um, the, the comparative advantage. You know, it's, it's like Montreal is in the Stanley Cup final. This is, this is the end-all, be-all. And you only have 3,500 fans in attendance. It's like, I don't know, man. It was, it was upsetting, and I, I think that I was trying to stay quiet about it, not trying to put it in into perspective like I like we are now but it definitely added uh to to the experience and and uh also like you said where the first round matchups man they were just regular season matchups just in the playoffs where yeah you know, it's just redos yeah it's just like hey where you guys, the outcome mattered now right and it's like that in previous years as well like uh in 2019 uh, when was it 2019? Yeah, it was 2019 when uh, New York Islanders played the Penguins. They're both in the Metro Division. So, yes, they were a first-round matchup that were in the same division. But you definitely get, by the second round, new matchups where these teams aren't in the same divisions. Um, but you didn't get, outside of the inter-division matchups this, this year, until the conference finals. And it was just like, eh, it took it away. But I just wanted to quickly bring up Andre Vasilevsky's stats, and he since he won the uh, con smite, and then we can get back into it because I, I I think that it, it's a good discussion to have. Uh, but he played 23 games. He had 16 wins, seven losses. His goals against were 44. Uh, so he made 699 saves, or I'm sorry, he he faced 699 shots and saved 655 of them. His save percentage was nine. Uh, 37, which is the highest of the uh, goalies in the playoffs. His goals against was 190. 
I mean, again, with stats like that, you're almost bound to get the con smite. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's sort of, yeah, I think if, if Point showed up for this series, he'd pretty much be the only contender, um, especially if, like, he, he maintained that goal streak um, till the end of the playoffs. But, yeah, with putting him aside and um, him sort of being non-existent in this, uh, the finals, really like opened the door for Vasilevsky and you know he slammed it shut I don't think there was really any question in anyone's mind uh to your point he had the best save percentage and he played the most games so it's it's pretty impressive uh regardless of, of any any factors you want to weigh in on that that played a part in this um put all that aside you know Vasilevsky wasn't letting people score you know it seems like every time uh, we talked, we would be bringing up people who were having, uh, you know, goal scoring issues. And, you know, nine times out of 10, those people that are having goal scoring issues are probably playing against Andre Vasilevsky uh, because he gives teams goal scoring issues, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know what I want to do while I have the time here is, is obviously congratulate the the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning on going back to back. You know, regardless of who you face in the final, it's very very difficult to go back to back, and they were able to do it, which is you know it's kind of funny, because um, previous to this year, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins of 2016 and 2017, they both went back to back, and then previous to that, the last team to do it I think was the 97 Red Wings and then the 98 Red Wings, so. We're starting to see miniature dynasties in the sense that you're starting to see teams go back to back, um, which, I mean, the NHL hasn't seen a dynasty, I would really say, in, uh, until you go all the way back to like the Islanders of the 80s, the early 80s. Um, and and it, so, I don't know, part, part of me is like, I, I like seeing dynasties um, because as nice as parody is, sometimes it's good to see, you know, consistent teams making it all the way because it's 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 just as incredible as if an underdog team won. Um, but while I have this time here, I would like to bring up last week's uh, segment where I talked about struggling forwards for Montreal, uh, and I obviously brought up Josh Anderson who was struggling and needed to score more, and then Brendan Gallagher, and I would like to take this time. Uh, now to just say I shouldn't have put Josh Anderson in there. Um, I do understand where I was coming from. I felt like with the contract he got, with the uh, with the um, position he had on this team and the, the role he had to fill with Max Domi leaving, um, I felt like there were an expect there was an expectation for him. But there was a player in mind uh, that I of course remembered after that uh, episode ended that I should have said instead. And that's Tyler Toffoli. I, I got to be honest with you. His last goal that I remember him scoring for Montreal was the toe drag shorthanded against Winnipeg in the second round. And I felt like after that, that guy was just invisible. I mean, completely invisible. There were times where, you know, I'd see Cole Caulfield on the ice and my eyes would just be attached to Cole Caulfield. And then I'd just 
kind of take a step back and go, is Tyler Toffoli playing with Cole Caulfield? I didn't see him on that line because typically they play together throughout this playoffs. It was uh, Suzuki, Toffoli, and uh, Caulfield. And then it was just like, oh, yeah, no, he's on the line. It's just he's not doing anything. He's not scoring. He's not making plays. He's not, you know, physical. He was just an invisible player, to say the very least, which, you know, with the season he had with Vancouver in the bubble last year, he had a lot of expectations. And I think uh, in his free agency, he asked for more money from Vancouver and Vancouver couldn't match it. Here, lo and behold, the Canadians gave him the money. And uh, it just, it didn't pan out for them. I mean, he was good early on, but the further it got in, I, I just felt like he disappeared. And I think that this team overall, uh, the further Montreal went, the more fatigue they got, especially Carey Price. Um, and I, I think that their, their run was great. Um, don't get me wrong, but I think, once the Stanley Cup finals came around, they were too fatigued from playing Tampa Bay or not Tampa Bay from Toronto to Winnipeg to Vegas. And I mean, those series weren't too, too long. One of them was a, a sweep. Another one went seven and another went six. But still, when you play that many games in a short amount of time, you know, you're going to get fatigued. And I just felt like this final kind of showed that. Tampa definitely had the stamina to go from the first round all the way to winning it all, whereas Montreal didn't have that fatigue. And it's not a slight at them. It's just, you know, they're a young and inexperienced team. Um, yeah, and and Tampa has, you know, the added benefit of a championship from last year on their belt. So they have already dug deep. They have already gone the long haul once. Um, and most of the guys that did it are back for another uh, go around so yeah th- that's that's some adversity that Tampa is going to be able to face a lot easier than Montreal will um yeah I think you know now that you mention it it, it definitely feels a lot like um you know some some amount of, of shell shock maybe came over Montreal um Tampa's a really fast team uh, this is the end of their playoff run, so Montreal is a, is a tired team, and that to me that seemed like some of the hardest uh, parts of the game for Montreal to to handle was Tampa's speed, especially um, when Tampa's on the PK. When Tampa's on the PK, I think it was is it Yanni Gord running around? It's, I mean, there's someone who is just running all over the ice. And he's taken on two guys in Montreal's own zone. Um, I forgot which penalty it was last night, but there was one, maybe it was the first or the second one that they took. Um, Montreal spent the first 45 to 50 seconds in their own end because they could, every time they had, they, they went to break away, someone is, you know, hounding them for the puck. And they end up having to make some weird no-look pass just to get the pressure off of them. But it goes to nobody. And, you know, the second guy for Tampa is coming flying in to get it and just kills another 15 seconds. And it's just this two-man cycle of being this pest. Um, yeah, Montreal definitely struggled with the speed. And to your point, um, some playoff fatigue has probably kicked in to uh, to 
to sort of uh, impact that. Yeah, and and the fact that Tampa Bay, like you said, went and won the Stanley Cup last year, it definitely gave them the experience to go through that same adversity and make it to the Cup. Whereas Montreal last year only made it as far as the second round and lost to the Philadelphia Flyers in six games. Um, but, you know, they, they, even then they defied odds. Like, they weren't even expected to beat uh, the Pittsburgh in the qualifying rounds. Or, I'm sorry, not the second round. But it, it was so odd. There was the qualifying rounds and then the first round. So, my bad. They didn't lose to Philly in the second round. They lost to Philly in the first. Yeah. Um, but with, with that being said, they, they, they didn't have the advantage that, you know, Tampa had as, as far as going and making it to the further than at least the first round, um, you know, but I'm glad to see Montreal's in this position. I, I, it, I feel like it shows us that they have a future, um, a future team and a pretty good team in, in the future. Cole Caulfield should be getting a starting position at the start of next season. Um, if he doesn't, I would be absolutely shocked. Uh, cause I thought that although he played a very silent Stanley cup final, it's like not much was expected of him. I mean, he didn't even get into that many games. He was scratched for game one of the Leafs series. Um, and he didn't make it to the lineup until like the third or fourth game of that series. So to kind of put, uh, a little pressure on him and, and, you know, say, where was Cole Caulfield in this series? You know, maybe if he showed up, they would have had a chance. It's just like, you're kind of, you know going too hard on a guy that basically his season started in the playoffs mid uh, series. Um, and I thought that he played really well. I, I thought that he was one of Montreal's better players. Uh, you know, him and, and, and Suzuki, I think are going to be a great duo for Montreal. Those two guys are, are just two deadly players. Uh, and I feel like the more that they develop, the, the better Montreal is going to be. And, and uh, it'll be exciting to see that future that Montreal Montreal has their um, my worry with Montreal heading in the future would basically be what are you going to do with uh, goaltending um, I think they have a, uh, a prospect named Caden Primo who you know is supposed to be the next and upcoming goalie uh, to replace Price because you know Price is definitely up there I, I don't think this is his last season as a Montreal Canadian um, but I, I certainly think that once his contract is up, he'll probably, you know, hang the skates up and retire. So filling in that goaltending uh, position, I think, will be difficult for this team in the future. But as of right now, I don't think they should worry too much about it. Uh, and then I heard, I saw a tweet uh, that said people were hugging Shea Weber one at a time. I don't know if you saw that. Um, and, you know, basically I didn't people know. Yeah, so apparently the Montreal, I don't know when, I don't know if this was after the handshake with Tampa or if it was just privately in the locker room, but um, but yeah, Shea Weber, I guess, was getting uh, you know hugs from everybody one at a time for Montreal, and I don't know if that means Shea Weber is moving on from the Canadians or if he's retiring. Whatever the case may be, it's definitely a, a worrisome sight to have because Shea Weber was again, a big part of this uh, defensive core that Montreal had. Yeah. No, I would say he was a, a big part of probably a lot of their run, man. He was probably a pretty commanding uh, voice in the locker room for them. 
um, you know, specifically when uh, their coach was out, I bet, on uh, COVID leave. And, you know, just through any adversity that they were facing, I'm sure he was like a, a, a pretty strong pillar for the guys. Uh, it seems like all of them have a lot of respect for him. And, uh, you know, what it, it very well could have just been them showing their admiration in the moment. And that's all it, it was. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to think about that, how much to look into it. Um, but it's, uh, I mean, it's not unwarranted. I think the guy uh, more than deserved it. He, like you say, he's a big part of their core defense. Uh, he's one of their more veteran guys. It was his first trip to the uh, to the finals this year. He's been around the league for a while now. Actually, there's a lot of guys on that team. You know, Price included, uh, Weber, uh, Eric Stahl. Um, they've Perry. had a lot of guys. Corey Perry, thank you. There's there's plenty of guys on there that have uh, done their dues. Um, and you know what? I, I bet you know Eric Eric Stahl has one, and Perry has one, and I'm sure that they really really wanted to get one for for Weber. Um, it seems like that team is pretty close knit, uh, despite how sh- how short lived some of them have been on that team, which is a reassuring thing as a, a Habs fan, I would think, because you know that tells me that 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 group, if uh, the vast majority of them come back next season, are going to be really considering themselves as playoff contenders and wanting, you know. Similar to the Hurricanes, it's the message that the Hurricanes gave the first two or three seasons of making the playoffs is that, you know, we feel like we're a playoff contender now. And and now, you know, Montreal on this run is a, a finalist contender. So I don't, you know, I don't think they'll lose any sight of that at the start of next season, especially given that the season is right around the corner, assuming that they get uh, about, I think we were talking before we recorded, but speculatively it might be starting like a week late than normal uh which is basically on time in my opinion so so uh no i I didn't see that about weber but it is nice to hear about i mean hockey is a sport that traditionally the older guys are always taking care of you go back to um you know joe sackick hand and fork the cup without even taking a second with it Yep. Um, you know, times like that, uh, you know, the young guys are often looking out for the older guys, and I'm sure that that entire team felt like they owed Weber uh, a little more. I, I, I bet, especially afterward, if it happened in the locker room and you let those thoughts sink in for a little bit, um, it probably hit some guys pretty hard. Yeah. I think maybe even looking at it, too, he was the captain of this team. You know, he led them to the Stanley Cup final. Um, so it could have just been like a sort of. Thanks for, for leading us here, man. You were you were absolutely great. We, we apologize that we we couldn't get the, you know, the cup for you, but you've been a hell of a leader to all of us. And maybe they just all took that time to just thank him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He and, couldn't, yeah. I mean, it even might have been just a sight, you know. Maybe right. he had his hand in his face, and you know, one guy stands up to hug him. <laughs> you know, who and among all that do. room isn't going to be able to? You know, who's yeah. going to be able to resist that after watching one guy just do it? You know. Yeah, I, I will be honest though. Um, uh, I I didn't watch 
the uh, celebration. And uh, I don't want people to take that as, oh, Nick wanted Montreal to win. I just didn't want to see Price. I, I didn't want to see Price. And I, I told my friend Ryan, who I was watching the game with last night, I said, we're going to watch the celebration. And then as soon as they started celebrating, I knew it was coming. And it was the pan to carry Price, who was going to be either crying or just very upset. It was his first run at the Stanley Cup, and it was probably his last. And he just couldn't do it. And I didn't want to see it because I, I saw Henrik Lundqvist in 2014. And that was heartbreaking. Um, you know, you, you, you would see Alec Martinez get the rebound shot. It goes in. Immediately his stick goes up. His gloves go up. And he's jumping everywhere. Everyone's jumping on him. And, and Henrik Lundqvist is just on the ice, deflated, defeated, and completely motionless. And... You know, watching that as a very young yeah. Player. What's that? I was just agreeing. I was just going to let you finish. Oh, yeah, my bad. I, I thought you were going to add something. But, you know, watching that as a young hockey fan, you didn't really understand completely what that meant. But being the age I am now at 21 years old, when you see that, you know exactly what it is. And it's just the guy is going to make either put the blame all on him, like he didn't play good enough in this final. Um you know, he could have made some saves that maybe shouldn't have gone in. He, you know, he's going to start doubting himself in that moment. Uh-huh. You just feel really bad for the guy because he's alone and he's 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 at his own uh, discretion there. Um, and I, 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 I haven't seen video of it yet, and I don't really want to because um, <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. But I was reading some comments and people were saying that he was getting teary eyed. He was crying and um you know, as passionate I am about the sport, you never want to see an athlete cry, whether, you know, whatever the case may be, them losing in the final, them losing a, a teammate of theirs, whatever the case may be, you never want to see an athlete cry. And it was just worse to me because Price was, it was Price's first and possibly, like I said, last yeah. chance at it. And I just, I couldn't, couldn't bear it. Yeah, I, co- I completely agree, man. I was, uh, 2014 I was a little bit older than you when that one happened and um yeah I mean I've panned back to the Alec Martinez goal and yeah Lundquist laying on the ground face down almost like as if you know he got his head taken off by Tom Wilson or somebody uh but really he's just there in his own feelings and his own doubt and um letdown you know uh, and then, you know, all those thoughts come over your head. And for Lundqvist, they were uh, true. They came true. That was his one and only shot, really, um, at winning a cup. And uh, to just sort of see that moment vaporize uh, right in front of your face, uh, especially the way it happened to Lundqvist. At least it wasn't sort of like how it happened to Lundqvist to Price. But, um yeah, I shut it off. I didn't. I shut it off with probably five or six minutes left in the game. I didn't. I didn't need to see. I didn't want to see any of the celebration. I didn't want to see any of the bandwagon fans going crazy, um, because two minutes after they scored their first goal, it was uh, you could hear a pin drop in that arena. So I didn't want to see any of that, and I certainly didn't want to see. Uh, how Carey Price was going to uh, react. And for me, I mean, I know that moment on the ice with, with Hendrik Lundqvist you talk about. Um, for me, that isn't really the 
the image I gain when someone brings that back. Uh, it's actually the image after the fact in the locker room. Um, you know, when your helmet's off and you just see a guy uh, with with that long flowy hair just covering his hands while his hands are in his or his faces and his palms. It's it uh just to to put in all that effort and to put in all that work and all that because it's not just that season that's leading up to those moments it's those guys entire careers and their livelihood is is there's a lot about their livelihoods that is sacrificed just to have the chance at doing what they do um and so to have all that amount to to nothing at the end for a guy who's been hanging on and trying to get one for so long and has had a number of opportunities um, just making the playoffs to, to have a run and put a run together. And then almost to have a sort of Cinderella-esque um, finale uh, is really, it's just tough. It, it's tough as a fan. It's tough as a human, I think, at times. Yeah. Um just to kind of wrap up the Stanley Cup final here, I'll just take, I'll say two notes. Um, I saw a funny comment of someone saying that the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning fans didn't boo Gary Bettman when he came out, which proved that they were bandwagon fans. Because no matter what team you cheer for, if you're not booing Gary Bettman when you when he walks out, then <laughs> are you even a hockey fan? And then the second note I'll say is apparently when um, Gary Bettman was presenting the Stanley Cup, as he always does, uh, being the commissioner of the NHL, he usually uh, will start by saying, you know, what a hell of a series. Um, you know, congratulations to the, Stanley, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning or whoever wins the Cup. Then he'll also give a, you know, sort of congrats to the, uh, the runners-up who lost, uh, this being, you know, uh, Montreal. Yeah, tip of the cat. Year. Yeah, typical. Like you know, congratulations for coming here. This is all speculation. This is all just uh, a run a rumor mill, basically. But I heard uh, from people who watched the um, celebration, for lack of a better term, that he didn't even bring up Montreal. He didn't even congratulate them. He just kind of presented the Stanley Cup without, I guess, acknowledging Montreal. I'm not trying to be speculative here and say, oh, that means he didn't want Montreal in the play in the Stanley Cup final. But it is an odd note uh, to to uh, take down when you're watching the uh, Stanley Cup being presented. Um, and again, I, I don't know if that's true. I didn't watch it myself. So if I'm wrong, I'll totally eat my words on that. It's just what I saw from some of the uh, group chats I'm in that I talked with. Gotcha. Um, huh. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll definitely look into that. If you don't, that's that's curious. But uh, yeah. I, I I won't say anything until we confirm it. <laughs> I uh, but and and moving on from that, you know, wrapping up the Stanley Cup final here, I want to get into officiating. And mm -hmm. I know it's kind of a cop out. I know it's kind of like, all right, where are you going with this? But it, looking at it objectively throughout these whole playoffs, um, no matter what team was playing one another, I don't know if after watching that Stanley Cup playoffs, I don't know what a hook is anymore. I don't know what a trip is anymore. 
Um, I certainly don't know what a slash is. Um, there are times when a player will get, you know, slashed on the stick and it and his stick shatters and that doesn't get called as a slash. But if he taps the player's, you know, hands and they sort of do like a, you know, a reaction where they take their hand off their stick and wiggle it and then put it right back on and that gets called. Um, I, I just, I don't know what penalties are anymore. And I don't know what a consistently called game is anymore. Um, last night, there was an, a, a hook. I think it was on Corey Perry very early in the game. And it's one of those plays where you're trying to just keep a guy to the outside. Um, you know, you, so, but you can't keep up with him. He's clearly a faster player than you. So what you do yeah. is you just reach your stick out. And all you do is just try and either poke the stick off or get his balance off of his stick so the puck is off. And that was called a hooking. And me and Ryan were like completely lost. I initially thought it was going to be a trip because Matthew Joseph, the player who was being hooked upon, fell. And, you know, I put two and two together. I said, okay, Corey Perry reached his stick out and, you know, uh, Matthew Joseph tripped. Okay. And then the replay, they show the replay and it was a one handed hook. And he fell. And I, Ryan looks at me and goes, have you ever seen somebody get hooked and they fell? And I said, no. Have you ever seen a one-handed hook? And he said, no. So I was just lost at that. And then towards the end of the game, with the dying seconds of, of the game left, I think it was at the 24-second uh, mark, or the uh, the 9.36 mark, 19.36 mark, uh, Chernak is in the corner with Suzuki and Suzuki is far enough away from the boards to where if he were to get hit from behind, his head would be the first uh, contact to hit the boards. Lo and behold, he gets cross-checked by Chernak. Head goes first into the boards. Nothing is called. There was a ref right there in the corner. And me and Ryan looked at one another going, <laughs> what? I." Uh, you could either call roughing on it. You could call a cross check. You got to call something. I mean, it's not like it's a game changing penalty. They were down by uh, a goal there with 24 seconds left. So, you know, maybe you could have said, hey, if they call that penalty and Montreal scores, then it's controversial because it looked like you you just gave Montreal a chance at, at staying in a game they didn't have a business doing. But a penalty is a penalty. You know, if you look at the rule book, cross check is taking your stick and just shoving it right into a player. And it was it was worse than a typical cross check you see where someone's just in front of the net and you decide to jab them. This one was they're in a corner. Suzuki's clearly in a vulnerable position with his head being toward the, the boards. I mean, I'll even add that could have been a boarding, but I guess it wasn't. So I, I don't know. I just don't know what officiating is anymore, Ann, and I don't know if you noticed yeah. that at all, but I just... Uh, I'll, I'm I'll, mention, I'll mention one thing. I mean, I, I think I've made my opinion pretty clear pretty early in this playoff that uh, officiating has been under my skin, but I'll just make one point about last night's game, and then I'll just talk kind of uh, broadly about it because I'd rather not speak constantly to Tampa's... Um, benefits as far as it comes to the officiating uh you mentioned uh what you mentioned you know not wanting to 
keep Montreal in a game that they don't belong in. Uh, I can think of two games that the refs kept Tampa in uh, that they didn't really belong in, and they ended up winning one of them. So I'll leave that there. And then last night, uh, someone on Tampa, who was it? The the puck is going into the corner, and the defense for Montreal is back to get it. And I think Ruda just absolutely annihilates somebody at the blue line. And Montreal has the puck, and the play gets called dead. And I'm going, what is happening here? Why Montreal had control of the puck the entire time. It wasn't offsides. And it ended up being a call against Ruda. And I'm like, what? Like, you're that's the right call. Yeah, but why did you blow the play dead? You know? So it's not even just the calling, that the calls that they're making. It's the way that they're handling things. They don't really look like they know how to rep. To your point, I don't really know what penalties are in the playoffs anymore either. All that stuff, as far as it happens in the regular season, I'm fine with that. Call hooks in the regular season. Call slashes in the regular season. Call trippings. Call all that stuff. Because it's the regular season, and that's just a way to get a guy hurt. And and during the regular season, it's a marathon. You know, we're all trying to stay in this as long as we can. So let's not hurt each other. But in the playoffs, it's a grind fest, and you need to grind your wins out. But the refs aren't letting that happen. And so I'm gonna. I want to kind of transition this into a more broad and general discussion. In that, when you start calling light calls, even if they're textbook and they fit the bill. When you start calling ticky-tack stuff, like hooks in the corner while guys are grinding it out, cross checks in front of the in front of the ice or in front of the crease, um, that really are just guys shoving each other. When you start calling those things as you would in the regular season, you just create an absolute Pandora. You open a Pandora's box of issues because you're calling call. You're making calls that you shouldn't be. And because you're doing that and you're not refing consistently down the road, you're going to end up missing those calls and fans are going to get upset. You have you're going to end up with um, points where there's other plays that you think should have been called because of how lightly they're calling different different penalties of of different categories. And you're just going to start seeing all these points where why did they do that? Why didn't they do this? How they miss this one? This guy's standing there and staring right at the play, and he doesn't even blow his whistle. It's, it, and that's why in the playoffs, the whistles need to go away because you remove all of those factors. Um, you remove the possibility of a ref deciding on what team stays in the game that they don't belong in or what team gets to walk away with the game without even really putting in much effort. And you really start, I mean, you ultimately start guiding series outcomes, in my opinion. And beyond that, you also end up frustrating a lot of people, coaches included, players included. It's not just the fans. Um, You know, Brenda Moore is getting fined last year for his comments about, uh, I think it's Chris Lilly. Is that the, the ref? And then Cassidy called him out again this year, too, and he got fined. Um, 
you know, if you put the whistles away, like how many penalties, how many power plays did Tampa have this entire postseason? Because they had six in game three against us or game four against us. You know, I don't want to see many more than two or three calls against really the, the, the two teams combined, but certainly at least, you know, two or three max per team during the playoffs, especially deep into the playoffs. So for me, it's just been very, very frustrating, not just with my own team included, but um, other teams. Vegas was having was running into this stuff and a lot of things were going their way in the first few games. Um, and, you know, just put aside whoever, you know, your favorite team is, put aside whoever your least favorite team is or, or however, you know, your vested interest in the game pertains to this. Just don't you want to watch a clean product? Don't you want to watch a game where you own a, a playoff series where like you pretty much never see a five on three or a four on three? And what did we see like two or three of those in the last five games, six games? You know, so yeah, I, yeah that's I, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I really think the officiating is just having too much say in these games. And it's just very frustrating because we're not watching the players play. Right. Um, I think if you, if you, I'll just end it with this and I'll let you go. I think if you tighten stuff up, uh, like if I could give a specific example, if you tighten up the officiating in game three and game four of our series, you might not even see Tampa Bay right now in the finals. Um, that's just food for thought because that f- full series didn't play out in my mind. Um, I thought games one, two, and five went exactly as they were going to. I thought that Carolina was robbed of a shutout in game three, and I thought that they were robbed completely of a win, hoodwinked of a win from game four. And put those two and two together, and we still have to play game six and see how that plays out. But I, I, I'm just using that example because I'm a fan of that team and that's the one that's seared in my mind. Um, there's certainly textbook examples of, of Vegas and Montre- the Montreal series having their officiating issues. Bruins had their fair share in the New York Islanders series. So for me, just in general, I'd like to see I'd like to see the players play again. Yeah. 100% agree with you, especially on your point about if you start calling the soft penalties, you, you're setting yourself up to miss them later on in the game and allow fans to just say, so is the standard we're calling soft penalties or is the standard we're calling nothing? And you can't have it both ways. You, you just can't officiate it that way. And I think somebody who summed it up pretty well um, was actually a, a a guy by the name of Steve Dangle. He's a pretty big pers- uh, YouTube personality. He um, He's best known for something called uh, LFR, which is Leafs fan reaction. He's a, uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And after every single regular season game and playoff game, he will review it, go through it, and talk about it. Uh, obviously, this year he had to change things up. Montreal uh, ended up beating... Uh, Toronto, and I have to give him the tip of the cap to him because, you know, instead of being pouty and saying, oh, why are my, why does my team suck and all that, he actually picked up uh, a segment uh, called Watch a Habs Game with Steve Dangle, and basically he just live streamed and people could donate and 
I'm pretty sure the donations he took went to. Uh, um, uh, I think it's a. A tournament called Easter Seals, which basically is just a, a hockey tournament. A lot of alumni have that, you know, they raise money for for Easter Seals. I don't know it specifically, but I know that he was raising it for Easter Seals. Anyway, his point was in one of the games, uh, he had a funny uh, reaction, a fan reaction to the Stanley Cup playoffs. He said, OK, I haven't made it all the way to the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'll do exactly what I do with the Leafs, whereas I review these games. So he called it Cup Check, which I thought, you know, very clever name. And he reviewed the every game of this series. And I think it was his review of game four of this series when Montreal won. He said that, you know, they shouldn't call them NHL officials or, you know, officials. They should call them NHL managers, as in they they manage games. Or maybe, no, the term was NHL referees. He said they shouldn't be called NHL referees. They should be called NHL managers because they tend to manage the game as um, as an official. You know, they have a rule book that they have to abide by and, you know, call it as it is. And so in a way, they're technically managing the game that way. And I thought that that was a good way of putting it rather than officials uh, because like you said, when you start calling soft penalties and then you don't call them later on in the game or when you just don't have a standard of officiating, it just leaves a lot of leeway for players and coaches to just go, I don't know what's going to be called. Um, a hook that happened in game three might not even be called in game four. A cross check that wasn't called in game five could have been called in game seven. You just never know. And a slash, a slash in game yeah. two could be a high stick in game five. It might right. even just translate to a new penalty, you know? Correct. And and one confusion I had was, uh, I think it was game three. No, I'm sorry. It was game four. This was was, was Montreal's um, only win in the series. It was game four when Shea Weber high sticked Andre Palat. There was no official call on the play. And upon further review... They called a high sticking and I was thrown off by that because I was just like, if there was no call on the play, how could you review that? Because when you initially call a high sticking penalty and you look for the double minor, they don't give you. They don't allow the officials to look at replays and go, OK, he got high sticked and here's the blood later on. You know what I mean? So they get high sticked and 30 seconds later, then they start bleeding. I don't know what the official rule is on double minors um, as a as it pertains to um, how quickly a player has to be bleeding in order for it to be a double minor. I just thought it was really weird that. They could have reviewed that. Because it wasn't a major, you know how they could review a major where if a major wasn't called, they could look at a penalty that was called maybe a roughing for two minutes and go, okay, that wasn't a roughing for two minutes. That's a five minute major. I didn't understand that review because I thought you could only review majors, not, hey, we missed a high yeah. sticking. Let's go to the, let's go to the, let's go to Toronto and review that. Or let's just, yeah. I was confused on that. And I, and I turned to Ryan and I said, if it wasn't called, why, like, if it wasn't initially called, why are we taking this time, delaying the game to then say, hey, we missed that call? Here you go. Here's a here's the double minor penalty. 
I was confused at that, and there were plenty of times where I've been confused with just penalties that were and weren't called. And I, I, I think that Steve Dangle was right putting at it, putting it as they're not, you know, referees or officials. They are managers. They are managing the sport of hockey as it pertains to the rule book. Um, just like a general manager manages a team to play the sport of hockey, they're managing the um, the rule book too as it pertains to uh, the game of hockey and, and the uh, the officiating they're doing. So I don't know, man. I'm uh, I would agree with you. I just want to watch a, a clean, perfectly um, called game. You know, and, and I think that we all wanted that. I, I, I don't know a game that was perfectly called in this playoff. Um, because, or at least a series with yeah. with unobstructed officiating. Um, that, you know, that stance that Steve Dangles took on, on roughing is a good point to bring up. They should be much more like managers, especially when it comes to uh, the, the postseason and the playoffs. Um, it's it's been traditional that the refs usually end up taking a hands-off approach in the postseason and i think uh most people appreciate that especially the players it gives the players a little bit um more leeway with what they can do and it allows them sort of to police themselves um you know when when guys start getting a little bit more like Corey perry is a great great example that's a guy that is like he lives for the playoffs because i mean he just loves to go around and troll you and get under your skin whatever way he can and when when it's the postseason and the refs aren't really calling that kind of stuff uh it allows him to it allows him a little bit more freedom and a little bit more creativity um but you know that what comes with that territory is he's also going to have guys like sergachev um and uh headman and uh you know the bigger guys that are going to be riding him and they're going to be uh taking care of all that stuff on their own so he'll be doing it but you know the the moment he gets you know a hard check into the corner and a nice little face face wash after with a little bit of jarring um you know he might come out and he might look a little different after that shit or on his next shift who knows he might be playing the puck more he might be more focused on uh, his positioning rather than um you know getting under uh headman's skin or getting under uh point or kucherov's skin like that kind of thing uh so yeah it's 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 tough because the last two seasons especially i think have really seen the decline uh in the officiating and uh i mean it's not entirely different from the post uh, from the regular season um if you ask me i saw a lot of uh beneficial calls go tampa's way during the regular season uh to the same effect that they did in the postseason uh, i just wasn't really mentioning it because it was the regular season and you know that didn't knock the canes out of the postseason but you know, there's at least that level of consistency, I guess, from the regular season to the postseason. Um, and you know what? If if this is the case, if this is how it's going to be, I would just like some sort of confirmation, you know, from the office, from from Gary, from Bettman. You know, like I've seen quotes from his that are saying that officiating is in a great place 
where it is and like i'm sick of that like tell me this is going to be the norm tell me all this chippy you know ticky tack stuff is going to be pretty regularly called and you know teams can adjust for that or at least they can try to um but what we're working with right now is just it's it's baffling at times man i mean it's not just questioning at times it's sometimes baffling and you sometimes just sit there with your jaw dropped and and um you know me me personally i'll sometimes sit there and I, and i won't even really react to the weird or bad calls because it's like for me it was just so routine at that point uh in our series it was like well this is just how we're going to be we're always going to be battling this uphill battle uh when we play in tampa you know the calls are just always going to go their way i guess so yeah it's tough it's uh, we've brought it up before and one thing i did mention today that i wanted to that i haven't yet uh with officiating is the biggest issue that i have is that when you allow these calls to start being made you just open like i said earlier you just open that pandora's box of all these uh, all these other moving parts and all these other what ifs or how do you not see that how do you see this where are you getting this call from all you just open those the doors for that conversation and uh you know honestly from a pr standpoint i don't think you you really want that to be all that welcomed uh in my opinion well here it's funny you bring up gary bettman um i don't know what the specific term of of what this assortment of media is but i guess uh, gary bettman meets with media before the game game one of the stanley cup finals each year and just gives sort of a i'd say a state of a union that a president would give where it's you know this is where the country's at now this is where we want to be in the future um and in that the media asked him about officiating and his quote right here is it seems every season it's a playoff ritual for me to address some aspect of officiating Let's be clear. Our officials are not only the best hockey officials in the world, they're the best officials in any sport. Um, that was very controversial when it came out, especially with the discussion we just had um, about how we don't know what a penalty is anymore. And, and it's a question of what is consistent officiating in the playoffs. Uh, I just found it funny that he said that, and and I get it. It's a PR. He's he's Gary Bettman. He's the NHL commissioner. He's not going to go out there and go, "Yep, we got some bad officials, but we also have really good officials." You know, it's it's a bad, um, it, it's a bad look if he if he says that. Look, yeah. It, it, but it's also even worse when you say something like that because you're just leaving the door open for people to just right. You know, you're just being blind to the issue right. at hand as well. Right. I mean. First of all, look at the first quote. It seems every season it's a playoff ritual for me to address some aspect of hockey. Take a step back, Gary Bettman. What do you think that means? Do you think that it's because your officiating is the best in the sport, in any sport? Or do you think it's certain GMs don't know what penalty is going to be called? Certain coaches don't know what penalty is going to be called? And certain players don't know what what certain... Or or at least what's going to be allowed. Like, where is the line drawn? Right. Where can like go ahead? You go. I was just gonna say, you know, where in the line are we gonna draw this sand? Are we gonna be calling it like it's the regular season? Um, because Gary, that's concerning because you have 
that you if you call like you're going to call in the regular season, you are going to have refs that miss calls because there's just simply too much to call if that's how you're going to do it. And and that's an issue. And actually, I was I was going to ask, could you read that back? The end. The the piece about it seems like every postseason I have to address. What did he say yeah. after that? Uh, yeah. So um, after the it seems every season playoff ritual for me to address officiating, he says, "Let's be clear. Our officials are not only, our, our okay. officials are not only the best hockey officials in the world, they're the best officials in any sport." It's it's questioning, man, because you have that one guy who's caught on Mike this season, who's just basically making calls up as he goes and how he feels. Um, and and so, keep in so mind, a, keep in mind that hot Mike was a regular season game where he said that right. much to give Nashville a penalty there. So imagine what they're saying in the playoffs when they're not mic'd, or right. when they're not allowed to be mic'd i don't know what the rules are beyond that nick imagine just imagine what they're thinking in their own head they don't even have to say it they just have to have the thoughts and you know what maybe maybe with that hot mic coming out and him saying he wanted to give a penalty to, to nashville there instead of you know, saying it in a hot mic and not calling it, maybe that's why you'd see you saw all these penalties where it was just we're going to call this, we're going to call that because you didn't want to be caught on a hot mic saying, "Hey, I wanted to give a penalty there." You just called that penalty, and it just looked like, "Oh, it was a, it was just a naturally called penalty." It's not like I met with the other official and said, "You know, I, I missed that penalty right there." So, you know, just be aware I, I might call a penalty here on Montreal, or I might call a penalty on Tampa because I missed you know their respective penalty on the opposite team what was that the reason why all these penalties were being called so in a, in a inefficiently and inconsistently i don't know but it certainly brings in question why in the world you would say they're the best in the sport if it seems to be coming up every single playoffs uh, season right um but it is what it is you know the playoffs are over so there's not much we can do about it it's over. exactly it just look forward to next season man yeah. every season's a new one every season's new and man i love hockey so it's like i'll never <laughs> turn my back away from the sport I know. No, matter, no matter how bad officiating is it's like damn i'll turn on the stanley cup final no matter if it's buffalo and, and arizona playing <laughs> or hell even if it's you know ottawa in arizona i'll turn that on no matter what well uh, yeah any 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 new faces are always entertaining to see and that's i think that's why i think especially you and i have had so much fun watching montreal's run yeah uh this postseason it was hey it was a long time coming it's uh it'll be you know this is uh everybody listening now this is the off season um but you know, just personally, if I could, if I could mention, you know, we come to the end of this postseason. Uh, any, if we have any regular listeners now, I just want to thank them. Um, and hey, I'm looking forward to the soft season uh, content that we can come up with for it. I'm really looking forward to starting and podcasting through an entire season, start to finish. Um, so I hope you know anybody, any of you that are regulars with us. Uh, Hang in, hang in for the off season. Uh, we got some stuff to talk about. We got trade deadline, or not trade deadline, the free agency coming up. And um, 
the the new the new entry draft as well yep. as uh, the redraft for Seattle, the expansion draft. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd piggyback off that and say, yeah, appreciate it. Um, I, I really enjoy everyone listening. I checked today um, to see what our numbers are at, and they seem to be pretty consistent um, with you know each episode I bring out. I, we consistently keep getting you know a, a certain amount of people, which is always nice to see because it's awesome. You know, I mean, it's not like I was worried about it. Me and Andy wanted to do this no matter what. Uh, we were we love hockey as much as the next guy. And, and we just saw, you know what, we're really, really good at kind of digesting the game and, and, you know, watching it and then being able to speak about it and give our own takes. And we just thought, you know what, why don't we just start a podcast, you know, with all the time we have, given the fact that, you know, COVID's kind of hit us and there's not really much we can do. It was kind of the perfect time to start a podcast. So I really appreciate all the, regular listeners that we have and we hope to keep keep seeing new ones as well um like andy said we got a lot to talk about in the off season and i'm excited for that as well um and and yeah it's just been really fun doing this i really enjoy it and i really am glad to see that we have you know regular listeners each and every time um but you know with that being said we'll wrap it up here you know Another good episode. Unfortunately, there is no um, no more hockey after this, so you won't hear me say, hey, game six is on tomorrow at eight, uh, which is definitely kind of a downer now that I say it out loud. But, uh, you know, look forward to the offseason. Again, Andy mentioned free agency, um, and you, you always see trades, too. Um, just an early preview of the offseason. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko requests to be traded. Um, and Duncan Keith has also, I believe, requested to be traded. So, you know, when when that happens, we'll definitely talk about it. And I can't wait. But oh man, there's a everything. lot. Dougie Hamilton is testing free agency. We yep. got we got a lot. We got yep. a lot. Seth Jones also. He's got a year left on his contract, but apparently he's also in the rumor Voicing. mill as well for the trade rumor mill. Um, so it's going to be an interesting off season for sure. Um, but you know, with that being said. We appreciate everyone who's been listening. And like Andy said, I cannot wait until we have a full podcast of the regular season. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, we'll be signing off here. Peace out. And thank you to all those who have listened to us.